0: Appreciate you, appreciate uh, appreciate Lee Creek and Brother Joseph. Good to meet him. Appreciate y'all on the conference to be hosted again this year. And uh, it's my first time here. I've heard about it for several years. Brother Brandon's been coming, and Brother Harold's told me about it. And uh, uh, I see I see what all the fuss is about. Amen. Uh, but it's good to be in the Lord's house with you today. My heart is in First Thessalonians chapter number two. And uh, just uh, as I was trying to pray and seek the Lord's face about what to do for the meeting this morning, this is uh, what uh, what the Lord put in my heart. Uh, when I pastored, I was, as Brother uh, Harold said, I pastored for about uh, a little over 11 years and I just preached through books of, of scripture. The first year and a half, I didn't do that and I was miserable. And uh, on Saturday nights, man, I'd feel like I'd read the whole Bible and didn't have nothing to say and uh, just absolute misery, and uh, I'll never forget how the Lord worked in my heart. I was studying a passage one night the Lord had put in my heart. I knew it was where I was supposed to be, but I was fanning out all over the scriptures trying to figure out what to say about the passage I was looking at, and in tones of thunder in my heart, it's like the Lord just said, it's in the text. It's in the text. And uh, brother, God did something in my heart at that point, and ever since then, I found out it's in the text. Amen. Instead of fanning out, I just started drilling down, and I found out something. On Saturday nights, I already knew what I was preaching, and I had time to study it and learn, see what God was saying through it, and uh, I watched God take an expository ministry and change the absolute atmosphere in a church, and I watched people grow in leaps and bounds. I watched them fall in love with Jesus. I watched them fall in love with the Word of God. And uh, brother, as far as I'm concerned, that's, there's only one way to preach and to pastor a church, and that's expository ministry. And uh, I thank God for the men that we met here this week that are committed to that. Preach the book, amen? You'll never go wrong preaching the book. And uh, But I had preached through this book, and uh, man, I've spent a lot of time, usually if I say 1 Thessalonians, people are just expecting me to go to chapter 1. I love that chapter. I preach that every chance I get. But I'm in chapter 2 today, and I felt like the Lord just revived some of these Uh, some of these texts, some of these verses in my heart, and I want to share them with you uh, this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first. I used to tell my church I can't even read without the Lord's help. Amen. So let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at the text together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand and, God, to open the Word of God. I thank you for those that have done it already this weekend, Lord. I thank you for the Word of God that's been preached to our hearts. God, I thank you for the fellowship and for the worship that we've experienced here And Lord, I just thank you for your goodness to a a group of people such as this, Lord, just wretches on our way to hell, deserving everything that was coming. But I thank you, Lord, that you'd reach down and pull us out of the mire and save us, bring us together to worship our God. And Lord, I pray now that you would help me, Lord, I know that I am insufficient for these things. I sense strongly my own inadequacy this morning. And Lord, if you would just help me for a little while, give me unction and utterance to preach. I pray that everything that needs to be said would be said and that nothing that does not need to be said would come out of my mouth. And God, that you would work in hearts and help us, Lord, work in us through your word to will and to do of your good pleasure. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory because you're the only one who's worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've got your place, would you stand with me there in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And let's read the first 16 verses of this chapter together. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also, thank we God, without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye have heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, I was talking to Brother Brandon, Brother Michael, last night. We were considering and discussing what would be preached today, and I told them that I was going to preach on the model ministry out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and apparently that struck a chord with Brother Brandon, and he said, that sounds familiar. And So he got on Sermon Audio and went back to 2017, the Preachers of Grace Conference, and he said, I preached that same text, and I used that same title. And so just so there won't be two messages by two Brandons with the same title on the uh, website, I decided to add a few words to my title. But, uh, so this morning the title of this message is The Blessed Model for a Biblical Ministry. How about that? <laughs> a Blessed Model for a Biblical Ministry. And I can maintain alliteration and uh, the Baptists that I run around with back home won't kick me out of their circles. Amen. And blessed Model for a Biblical Ministry. I love the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians both. It just amazes me. I marvel every time I read it that it was only three Sabbath days that Paul spent with this group when he went there to evangelize them and to plant this church. I would to God that in three Sabbath days I could impart as much truth and build as great a foundation under a people as Paul managed to do in Thessalonica. I mean, when you read First and Second Thessalonians and see the issues that he's dealing with and the matters that he is clarifying, I know people who have been in the church their entire life but still don't have a grasp on some of the things that they were questioning and wondering about in their lives. It's amazing what God can do, isn't it? It's amazing what God can do with a man and it's amazing what God can do in the hearts of the people to whom he preaches when he's under the anointing and power of the Spirit of God and God begins to move and do a work that no one else can ever do no matter how hard that they might try. And in three Sabbath days, reasoning and alleging and opening the Scriptures, he began to lay for them a great foundation upon which they could build as God planted a church there In Thessalonica It's amazing to me to watch what happened But as we come to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians We really see a little bit of the heartbeat Of exactly what was in Paul when he went there And when God did what he did in Paul's life And in the life of this church This really is a pattern for ministry We see here many things that ought to be mimicked And imitated in the ministries that God has given us I'll be honest with you, as I uh, travel now and raise support and preach, it seems like every Sabbath day, and we we would say the the Lord's Day, every Christian Sabbath day, it seems like my heart yearns and longs and misses those Sunday mornings when I would be traveling to the church I pastored to go and open up the Word of God and preach the next text in the chapter and the next text in the book, and, and I miss, to a great extent, pastoral ministry, Uh, I mean it is a dear blessing Do not take for granted what the Lord has done I wanted to die there I figured I would I was going to be white haired if I had any left And The rate I'm going it probably wasn't going to be so But I was going to die there pastoring And I'm telling you That kind of ministry has a special place in my heart And I'll miss it till I die But listen to me Whatever you're doing Whatever corner of God's vineyard you're in Wherever God has placed you Settle in there Do the work that God's called you to do and brothers and sisters uh, just go with God and have a heart for God and do what God has called you to do men of God preach open the book and preach many have quit, many have left off many have stopped they've gone to everything else under the sun but oh we need to preach God's word we need to follow his commands. Look at this chapter with me I want to give you four things this morning Concerning a biblical ministry First of all I would point out the marks of a biblical ministry Several marks are given to us Several characteristics of what a biblical ministry is Are laid out for us here in these first six verses of this chapter First of all a biblical ministry is a ministry that is powerful Look at verse 1 For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. It was not in vain. The little word vain there has the idea of being empty. One uh, one lexicon defines it this way. It means to be without any effect. Brother, if you look around today, And you just take an inventory of so much of what is called ministry and you look at the effects that it's having, usually they're either no effects or they're negative effects. And the problem is there's no power. I thought about Paul and what he said in chapter 1 in verse 5. He said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. In power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. Don't let whatever's happening around us, and don't let all of the different movements of our day make you afraid of the Holy Ghost. And brother, we can't so much as eat or breathe or live apart from the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. The command is still there. Just in the text that Brother Michael read, that chapter, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. It means to be dominated, to be controlled, to be directed, to have the diffusion of the Spirit in your life, that every aspect of your life would be fragranced with the presence of the Holy Ghost of God. I would remind you that the Holy Spirit is not some force. He's not some influence. The Holy Ghost is not something that we get a hold of and use, but rather He is a person who gets a hold of us and uses us to accomplish His work. We are to yield to Him. We are to surrender and submit to Him day in and day out. And brother, ministries that are void of the power of God are vain ministries. They're without effect and they're empty and you watch it all around us no matter where you turn. We've got to get back. To a desire for God's power. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. A biblical ministry is a powerful ministry. Any ministry that is devoid of the spirit of God and the power of God is not a biblical ministry. But then notice secondly, not only is it a powerful ministry, marks of a biblical ministry include the fact that it is a Persistent ministry Look at verse 2 But even after that we had suffered before And were shamefully entreated as you know at Philippi We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God With much contention He said you know what we went through down at Philippi You know that they had to usher us out of the city And get us out secretly before we were liable to have lost our lives you know of the, 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 the treatment that we received and all the various places that we went. But what did we do? Did we fold up and quit? Did we close our Bibles and walk away? Brother, I believe a big problem in America at least, or at least in the mountains of western North Carolina, that we face is guys who don't have any persistence. They don't have any ability to stay through a few hard times. And, brother, I'm telling you, there's going to be hard times. But a biblical ministry will maintain throughout that and continue on and and persevere through those hard times. Don't quit. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I've been there. Many have. But, brother, on the other side of that, there's glory. On the other side of that, there's joy. Just hang in there. Hallelujah. Just stick with it. He said, yeah, they whooped us and beat us and cussed us. He said, but we were bold in our God. That's where boldness is, isn't it? We weren't bold in us. We were. Uh, he often talked about his own weakness and uh, obviously wasn't a very large man. He said, but oh, we were bold in our God to speak unto you. We kept preaching anyway, even though some didn't like it, even though some didn't want it. We kept preaching. We're living in a society that doesn't want it. Ain't interested in hearing it. They don't like you for telling it. but Keep on telling it. They're going to they're treat you bad. If they're not treating you bad, you're probably not telling it like you ought to tell it. Persistence. There were calamities that they suffered. But they had this confidence in the Lord. The little word bold there comes from a word that means to be frank in utterance or confident in spirit and demeanor. Frank in utterance. They didn't water it down. They told it like it was. They we're not afraid to say what God had said. And let me say this, if you'll just say what God has said, you'll never have to worry about how it's received. It was persistent. Thirdly, as we think about the marks of a biblical ministry, in verses 3, 5, and 6, we find out that a biblical ministry is pure. In verse 3, we find out that their message was pure. He says, For our exhortation was not of deceit. Little word deceit there. It has the idea of corruptness. It has the idea of a lie being told. It has the idea of, 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 of slipping something in upon someone who is unsuspecting. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The message was pure. I like what Paul said in another place in Acts. He said, We have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That was another problem I had before I began to preach expositionally. I had my own hobby horses and my own pet peeves and I could preach what I wanted to. I could preach on the things that I wanted to and I didn't have to preach on any of the uncomfortable things and the things that I didn't want to. But brother, when you preach verse by verse and you're going through a book, that congregation is expecting you to stand and preach that next text whether they're going to like it or whether you're going to like it or not. And it'll put you in some uncomfortable places but thank God every time you're in those places He's with you and you have the authority of heaven behind you because it's His word. No deceit, He didn't change the message. The message was pure. Thank God for the pure word. But then the motives were pure. Verse 3, he says, we didn't do these things for gratification. He says, for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness. It wasn't to fulfill some fleshly lust or desire. We weren't interested in gratifying our flesh and gaining something materially or uh, temporally, but uh, the, our motives were pure. He says, it was not done for greed. Verse 5, neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, for a cloak of covetousness. (laughs) I saw this week, I think it was, old Creflo Dollars decided that he was lying how he was preaching tithing all those years. I wonder if he's going to refund everybody that gave to that ministry. I got a sneaky suspicion that ain't going to happen. He said, we didn't do these things as a cloak of covetousness. We're not trying to fleece the flock of God. We're not trying to take something from you it was not done for glory verse 6 this has been handled and handled right well this morning in the first message when he says nor of men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ he said yeah we were apostles but we didn't run around holding out our apostle card and hey I'm an got too many men who are trying to build their own kingdom, some of them in the video room brother Harold, that's an inside joke, maybe not as inside as I thought, amen, some folk have heard of Pastor Jim at a scene, building their own kingdom all over the place. And I found out a lot of times if you cross paths with those fellows that are going to build their own kingdom, they really want you on board to help them build that kingdom. And if you're not going to do that, you might as well get out of the road because the train's coming through, right? They're going to build their kingdom with or without you and you will get kicked to the curb so fast. You said we didn't seek glory. We weren't looking for notoriety. But then their methods were pure. There were no false pretenses. He says in verse 3, no guile. The word literally means bait. And then in verse 5, there was no flattery. Nor for neither at any time use we flattering words, flattery. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. It's been said that gossip is saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. But flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. Flattery. I like what Sam Gordon said about it. He said, flattery is like perfume. It's okay to smell, but not good to swallow. Flattery. I've spent a lot of time in Jude lately, and one of the things Jude says about the apostates is that they hold men's persons in in admiration for advantage. Flattery. Flattery. God help us. Not to give it to men, but also not to love it from men. I try my best you know how it is preachers sometimes the Lord just helps you we know where it comes from we know who's helped us we know why it is what it is and there's compliments will come and you just have to glory to God glory to God I would rather do that than have a thorn in the flesh like Paul had to keep him humble when he got to go to heaven brother we should not employ it and we should not enjoy it flattery biblical ministry is pure a biblical ministry is persistent a biblical ministry is powerful but then a biblical ministry is pleasing verse 4 but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God which trieth our hearts that's been dealt with pretty aptly here this morning too who do we seek to please Be not a man pleaser. Brother John O in one of his podcasts he made a statement concerning the fear of man that has not left me alone since I heard him say it. He said the fear of man bringeth a snare. He said fear is a worship word. Fear is a worship word. When you fear man, when you seek to please men." Rather than God, what you're really doing is rendering to them worship that is due only to our sovereign king. He said we want to please God. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth the hearts. There's a test that must be passed. He said we were allowed of God. That word means tested, tried, or approved. Think about Belteshazzar, thou art. Weighed into balance and found wanting. What about me? What about you this morning? Approved of God. Then there is approval to be sought. He said, we were allowed of God, not as pleasing men but God. We wanted only to please Him. And when you please God, men will not be often pleased. Thank God for the ones who are because God is pleased. But there are many who won't. He says... God, which trieth our hearts. Every now and then, just receiving, I guess, fresh recognition of the fact that God tries my heart causes me to shudder. He sees the thoughts, he knows the thoughts, the intents of the heart. That passage in Hebrews 4, though it speaks of the word, it says, this is he with whom we have to do. It's the Lord that's trying our hearts. He sees what no one else sees. Knows what no one else could know. But yet Paul said we desire to please him. Because, he says here in verse 4, We are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. God trusts us, men, with his gospel. Think about the awesome responsibility that God would trust you, would entrust to me the gospel. That's big, isn't it? That's really big. We must recognize it, and we must take that responsibility seriously. He says, even so we speak. So we see the marks of a biblical ministry. But then in verses 7 to 9, we see the maternity of a biblical ministry. I know that sounds odd, but as we read this, you'll see it clearly. Uh, When I was growing up, a lot of times especially hanging out with our buddies, Brother Brandon, Brother Justin, we'd say uh, one of us would need something or something else, and I often would hear the phrase, I ain't your mama. <laughs> right? I ain't your mama. Sometimes as a pastor, yeah. <laughs> amen, I'm seeing some nods there. You all know where I'm going with that. I ain't your mama. But in a sense, There is a maternal aspect to ministry First of all there is maternal nourishment Look at verse 7 But we were gentle among you Even as a nurse cherisheth her children A nurse The same word was in Brother Sanchez's text When he says he nourisheth and cherisheth it. The word literally means to feed When you stand before your congregation this coming Lord's Day and you open up the Word, you're mothering them. You're feeding them. You're providing that spiritual sustenance that they need to live. That is a responsibility that ought not to be taken lightly. You know, when a woman is nursing a child, they have to be careful about what they eat because what they eat their baby eats. I'll tell you, man, I hear sometimes I'll be scrolling through Facebook on a Sunday night and it's clear to me some of those pastors spent more time watching Fox News than they did in the book that week. And all they're doing is feeding those, those spiritual children what they've eaten all week. As a nurse cherisheth her children mother's identification a mother's inclination she is gentle it says we were gentle among you translates the word epios which is often translated meek it's been dealt with again it means mild or kind one definition of this is soft soothing or pacific where we get our word pacifier <laughs> I've heard preachers throw off one I A pacifier in their mouth, right? But that's what a mother does to soothe and to calm that child. Barlow said that there is a power in gentleness to subdue the mightiest opposition and to triumph over the most gigantic difficulties. Gentleness. Then the mother's intake, that What she puts in is what she puts forth. It is her responsibility. Church, it is, men of God, it is your responsibility. To feed your people. Feed the flock of God which is among you. One of the greatest realizations that I had while I pastored was when I was studying the Lord's conversation with Peter after his resurrection. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter answered basically the same each time. And the Lord said this, feed my sheep. If you're called of God to preach this this morning, every time you stand behind the sacred desk to open God's word and preach, you have an opportunity that no one else has to declare and to demonstrate your love for Jesus Christ. If you spend all week watching Fox News and not studying It's really a reflection on your love for Christ. If you love me, feed my sheep. Oh God, help us to love you. Because then we'll be better pastors and we'll feed your people. In the nurture of this ministry, there is a yearning. He said in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. My final Sunday at the church I pastored was April the 3rd. I have My parents are members there. I've seen them since, but I don't think I've seen anybody else from the church, but one man since I left have the privilege this coming Sunday to go back and preach their homecoming Sunday. And man, I'm excited. Why? I miss them. I love them. Some of you mamas, those babies went away to stay with the grandparents for the first time. You remember the heartache and the distance you felt. Call them up about bedtime just to talk to them again before they went to sleep. If a pastor doesn't have that same heart for his people, he's better off to resign and move on. I got, I got no use for any pastor to go out and preach in other places and run down the church that he's responsible for while he's in the pulpit there. If you want to get cut off real quick, that's a good way to do it. Because if you've got that attitude, you need to go back in the next service. You stand in that pulpit. Don't try to preach to them. Don't do anything but tender your resignation and leave them to find a pastor who will love them and feed them and care for them. I know there's frustration at times. I get that. Just like a mother corrects and continues to love, that's how a pastor ought to do. Verse 9, the nature of this ministry. Their burdens. He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. I don't know how many times growing up my mama reminded me of how hard it was to give birth to me. (laughs) I carried you nine months. My wife does it too. My youngest, she had uh, uh, the kind of diabetes you get, gestational diabetes they always called. Every now and then she feels the need to remind my youngest daughter that that was the case. My oldest was nine pounds when she was born. She caused my wife to end up with two C-sections. I tell everybody seven pounds of that was head. That kid had the biggest head I've ever seen. (laughs) My wife's careful to remind her of the labor and the travail that she faced in bringing her into this world. She says, he says verse 9, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. He said we were willing to do whatever it took to keep ourselves from owing you but rather to just give you the gospel. There's burdens in this minute. There's blessings. though. We preached unto you the gospel of God. What a blessing preach the unsearchable riches of a sovereign savior who would leave his throne come to this world and die for the likes of you and the likes of me no greater privilege so we see the maternity of this ministry we see the marks of this ministry thirdly notice with me the morality of a biblical ministry and I know sometimes that word is thrown around in the wrong sense, but we know what we mean when we say it. The morality of a biblical ministry. In verse 10 we find a pattern exhibited. It says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. That's lacking in our day, isn't it? Pastors are too worried about being cool. To even give thought to being holy I still read in my Bible That without holiness You shall not see the Lord God hath called you to be holy And if there's one example Before a congregation of holiness It ought to be the pastor And let me say this It ought to be his family Holily God commands us as His children to be holy. He says, "Why? Because I am holy, holily and justly, on the up and up. No, no backroom deals. No uh, secret agenda. Unblamably, just the qualifications that were mentioned last night. The qualifications of the pastor. We behaved ourselves among you that believe." Pattern exhibited, then a the practice employed. I was reading in one place before I move on past that. I, I, I want to read this quote. This is a quote by Brother Albert Martin. He said, This, he said, the soul out of which powerful preaching grows is the preacher's own life. This is what makes the art of preaching different from all. Other arts of communication. He goes on and says a minister's life. Listen to this. A minister's life is the life of his ministry. Holily. Justly. Unblameably. That's how we ought to behave ourselves before our people and before our families and in our secret place. It's not putting on airs and being something you're not on Sunday so the people won't know what you're really like. If you can't be yourself around your people, you've got no business being around your people. And the practice is employed in ministry. There is a word of admonition here in verse 11. He said, we exhorted you. We comforted you. We charged every one of you. These are fatherly things that he does. So he talks about a motherly side of this ministry. And then now he talks about the fatherly side. He said, we've got both duties, both responsibilities. We've got to be your parents. (laughs) We exhorted you. We comforted you. I thank God I had a dad who knew how to do that. I hear a lot of people talk about their dads and they're so stern and harsh. God help a child who's who never hears their dad say the words, I love you. I say it every time I part ways with my kids. I'll let them out at school and they'll get out of the car and i say, I love you. And if I don't hear it good and loud, I'll say, I love you. I want to hear it back, even if they don't feel like they mean it at that particular time. But more than that, I want them to know that I love them. Our people need to know that. Charged you. <laughs> it is a commission. It is the idea of direction, urging, give, to, uh, uh, put forth upon an individual. The word Father in all its forms its found over 1,600 times in Scripture. Primarily so because that's the term God has chosen to describe His relationship with His people throughout the ages. He was a father to Israel. He's a father to Jesus. He's to us that believe a father, having adopted us to be His children. God truly acts as a father in every sense. It's not just a title. It's who He is to us as His children. believe that one of the responsibilities of earthly fathers is to give us insight into that relationship that God desires to have with us. Not only do we find that God describes himself by this term, but the apostles, John and Paul, did the same. John said in his third epistle in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In Philemon verse 10, Paul refers to Onesimus as his son in the faith. He says the same of Titus in Titus 1.4. He speaks this way of Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. The father doth his children. We see the practices employed, the pattern exhibited. Thirdly, as we think about uh, this morality in ministry, we see a product that is expected in verse 12. Why why be a father? Why, Why act this way toward God's people? He says that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory wanted them to live up to their name, live up to their calling, to walk worthy of God. That seems impossible, doesn't it? But the Lord said, if you'll keep my commandments, I and the Father will make our abode with you. He said, I want you to walk worthy. I like what Sam Gordon said on this. He said, here is the big difference between the mother and father traits in Paul. The mother side wants to provide what is needed at a given moment. The father side wants to produce the product at the end, a delicate balance that needs to be somehow maintained. Provide the needs but expect the final product. Have a goal in mind. What do you want your people to be? What kind of church do you want a pastor Then mother them, provide their needs, and then father them in such a way as to reach that goal. You want them to have a stronger mission program, support missions stronger personally. Show them, teach them, provide the means, equip them for it. The morality of a biblical ministry. And then lastly, the message of a biblical ministry. The word gospel is found 4 times in our text. That is the substance of this message. It's what it all hinges upon. That's the center hub of the wheel of ministry is the gospel. A ministry that detaches itself from the gospel is soon to go astray. He says, In verse 2, we speak unto you the gospel of God. In verse 4, we are put in trust with the gospel. Verse 8, we would not impart it unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. We preached unto you, verse 9, the gospel. The gospel. I think we're muddled sometimes as to what the gospel is, even in circles who pride themselves on knowing what the gospel is. Did you know that the gospel doesn't have five points? I didn't even have to duck and dodge tomatoes. Praise God. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Brother, that's the gospel. If you're going to major on anything, major on the gospel. God, help us to be gospel preachers more than anything else. You need to preach it. It's good for you to preach it. The saints in your church need to hear it. It's good for them to hear it. And it's the only hope that sinners have is the gospel. Don't let anything else take the main stage in your ministry over the gospel. Always find a way to preach the gospel. It's the substance of the message. Then the the source, three times here he calls it the gospel of God. Isn't that great? Tells you where it came from. Man didn't come up with this. It's God's gospel. Paul said in Galatians 1, 11 and 12, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love Galatians. Paul talks about that encounter there, and then he says, Then I went down there to Jerusalem, and I found the rest of the apostles, and he said, We started comparing notes and found out that what God gave me out there was exactly what they were preaching up there. He said, They added nothing to me. The gospel Then the strength of the message Verses 14 and 16 talk about really the responses that are had with the gospel For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God Which in Judea are in Christ Jesus For ye also suffered like things of your own countrymen Even as they have of the Jews Became followers, imitators of the churches of God I realize not all the saints are just cookie cutter. I realize we're different, but at the at a core level, we're the same, brothers. We're the same sisters. We have obtained like precious faith in him. Then he said uh, they 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 suffered at the hands of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. <laughs> Bidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The gospel is the great divider. There's a line drawn down through humanity throughout time and on one side are those that have believed the gospel and on the other are those that have not. That's the only difference. What they've done with the gospel. So it is our great privilege and our great joy to make it known. What a blessing. Amen. Thank you this morning.